Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our Insights series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more Insight Series updates and as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Insight Series podcast. Today, I'm joined by our Asia-Pac team, Amy Reynolds and Aidan Mordecai, um, and we're going to discuss the coronavirus. So thank you for joining. So, Amy, the virus has had a lot of media attention, some alarmist, but what's the actual situation? How worried should we be? So, yes, it's a new strain of coronavirus that manifests in pneumonia-like symptoms, so things like coughing and a high temperature. It appears to have first been transmitted from animals to humans in a market in the Chinese city of Wuhan late last year. And then the virus has since spread quite rapidly. Um, There are now over 20,000 cases in total across 27 different countries, though it should be noted that 99% of these cases are in mainland China. There have also been around 420 fatalities so far, uh, and the number of both total cases and fatalities will continue to rise. But I think it's also important to note that fatalities as a percentage of the total number of cases has been pretty stable at around 2%. And this is a significantly lower fatality rate than for both the SARS and MERS viruses of recent years. I think it should also be noted that the majority of deaths are still in the epicenter of the outbreak in Wuhan and in Hubei, with only one death overseas in the Philippines, um, which was a man who had traveled there from Wuhan. So the broader risk of fatal illness is still very low, particularly among the younger, healthier people. Great. So that's reassuring. So Aiden, how much do we know about the virus and can we try to predict the future trajectory? As Amy says, it's probably going to spread and we'll see more fatalities. Yeah, as Amy said, it is a new virus. So we're discovering new things about it all the time. And the scientists are doing their best both to contain the virus and find out how to best tackle its growth and its spread. What we know of now is it's generally transmitted via respiratory droplets and um, its transmissibility rate, which is the rate of infection, is currently from between two to three, which means every infected person at the moment seems to be infecting another two to three people on average. Now, that is quite a high rate, and that's why we have seen the the rates of confirmed cases of infected people uh, increasing at the rate it has. And that number needs to go below one before we can start to really contain this virus. So the next, I think, week or two, we will have a better idea of how this infection will develop long term, because we will need to see how the lockdown from China in the Hubei region has had an effect on the other cities in China and also internationally. Apart from um, within China, internationally, as Amy says, it's spread at a much slower rate, and it's mainly individuals from China going abroad. In the long term, we will. there's a lot of things we cannot uh, predict in a moment, uh, how fast it will mutate, how it will mutate as a virus, and uh, how it maybe will change, become maybe more infectious or possibly more deadly at the same time how we will treat it and there's been a, a few cases of more successful treatments such as a, a, there's been a successful use of a cocktail of antiviral drugs used in Thailand and of course we will need more testing to see if they have long-term viability. There has been talks of a vaccine but that is unlikely to be on the horizon anytime soon. We are talking about months more likely years before we have a proved vaccine that will be able to be used on humans. 
So um, it's just something to keep on monitoring, but it's not something that should be panicked about at the moment. So I'd like to return to this idea of containment, because I know we've seen quite a bit from the Chinese authorities on this topic. So Amy, what, what has the authorities' response been to the virus, and what can we expect from mainland China? Well, the response from the Chinese authorities uh, so far has been unprecedented in terms of its scale. But at the same time, uh, they've actually admitted themselves in quite a rare disclosure that there have been various shortcomings and deficiencies in terms of their response. So, for instance, as Aidan mentioned, the city of Wuhan and most of the surrounding province of Hubei have now been completely locked down. But Wuhan's mayor admitted that around 5 million people left the city before the lockdown was imposed. So this delayed response, plus the hundreds of millions of people moving around over Lunar New Year, will have exacerbated the spread of the virus. And as such, the authorities are continuing to implement containment measures with things like enhanced screenings at entry points and travel hubs nationwide, uh, suspensions and limitations on public transport services in several major cities, and a number of local governments, including that of Shanghai, ordering non-essential businesses to suspend their operations. Wow. So we've seen, as you said, Amy, a very strong response from the Chinese authorities, but then Aiden kind of redirecting to the international response as we see people traveling around in that kind of alarmist scare. What can we what have we seen and what can we continue to expect? Well, internationally, we've seen a strong and a quick response from the U.S. They were one of the first to call back diplomatic staff from the from the city of Wuhan. They were one of the first to organize evacuations from the city. And as well as uh, they have also now uh, banned all foreign nationals who have been to China in the past two weeks from entering the country. This move goes against World Health Organization recommendations who have stated that travel bans are not uh, necessary at this point. And as a result, China have seen this move from the U.S. as, as provocative. But the U.S. are not the only country uh, to impose quite restrictive travel restrictions. That includes uh, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand have all imposed similar restrictions to who can enter their country and even uh, transit in their country. International firms have also reacted, and particularly airlines. A lot of airlines have suspended flights into and out of China. That includes Qantas, Air France, Air Canada, and British Airways. And this is something that could be extended, uh, but we're looking at to at least most of February for a lot of flights. And the Hong Kong government has uh, succumbed to a lot of uh, pressure from citizens to close majority of their border entries to from China. That is just part of the disruption that is caused. Many students have had their returns to overseas university delayed because of, of them returning to China for the Chinese New Year. Um, workers have not been able to go back to work if they work outside of China. So the disruption from the virus has, has been significant and it is going to continue to be like that as um, restrictions I do not see being lifted in, in the near future. So to pick up on that point of this disruption, you know, obviously we've seen a strong response not only within China, but from the international community. Um, as Aidan mentioned, you know, people being banned from returning to their countries. Uh, what is this impact going to be on business? Um, how long do we expect this disruption to continue? And what do we think is going to be the outcome? Well, for any businesses that operate in China or have supply chains running through the country, they're facing, as we've said, a significant degree of disruption which is really more due to attempts to contain the virus than the virus itself. As we've said, mobility to and from, as well as within the country, is becoming increasingly restricted. 
and businesses, including shops, offices, factories around the country are suspending their operations. As an example, uh, Hubei province, which is completely locked down at the moment with minimal economic activity taking place, is responsible for 4.5% of China's GDP, uh, which is certainly not an insignificant amount. And yeah, we expect this sizable economic impact and an impact on business activity to extend maybe even for several months, causing production delays and forcing companies to make alternate arrangements so that they can um, fulfill their orders and, and meet demand. And then uh, for the hospitality sector, for organizers of events taking place in China in the coming months, we expect cancellations until the virus is fully contained in line with uh, flight suspensions, government travel warnings, and the generally rising level of public anxiety. Thanks. So we see quite a significant immediate impact then for companies operating in China. But are there any kind of second order implications or other left field things, I guess we would see uh, manifesting from the coronavirus outbreak? I believe there's been an undercurrent um, of racism and xenophobia to the reaction to this virus internationally, particularly outside of Asia and outside of China. Um, you know, newspapers have been recorded to be using racially inflammatory language to describe the virus. Restaurants in, in South Korea and Japan and Vietnam have been um, reported to be having policies where no Chinese people are allowed or signs to say no Chinese people are allowed because of the fears of the virus. And um, these cases in, in this age, in the Internet age, particularly with a community like the Chinese community online who are very active and, and very sensitive and, and the Chinese medicine um, do pick up on these things and, and, and it will be shared. Cases of racism or xenophobia will be shared uh, widely in China. This could be a longer term impact and it could be a lasting effect uh, of the virus. We have seen uh, boycotts from the Chinese market before when they feel like um, there has been cases where they have been treated uh, wrongly. Of course, we saw the NBA and the reaction from the Chinese state, the Chinese media, the Chinese population to comments from a senior figure who declared their support for Hong Kong. And that had a, a real tangible effect on the, the NBA's bottom line uh, because of loss of sponsors, loss of viewing figures. So this is something that could harm firms if they are implicated in, in said racism. So it is something to watch out and to be particularly sensitive about because it is a difficult situation in China. A lot of people, of course, going through uh, stressful times. And I think sympathy would be uh, greatly appreciated from the Chinese market at the moment. Well, thanks for that, Aiden and Amy. Hopefully we won't see too much more panic about the coronavirus, but I expect that that's wishful thinking. But thanks for listening to this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or queries, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at info at and feel free to like, comment, and share. And we look forward to you tuning in next time. <laughs>